There were a variety of other Ukrainian slash Polish or Eastern European restaurants in the neighborhood, but I think what we were able to hang our hat on was that we'd always use the best ingredients to make those staples. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Wilco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the restaurant industry. Now, here's your host, Wilco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Profitable Table. And today, I am really excited for our guest. I'm here with an owner of one of the most iconic restaurants in New York and probably in New York City history. And there's absolutely no one better to talk to when you want to figure out what it takes to keep a restaurant growing and relevant and exciting for decade after decade or decade. So without further ado, Jason Burchard of Veselka, thank you so much for taking the time to come in here, Jason. Thank you for having me. And for people who live in New York or who have visited New York or have seen one of the many movies, Ocean's 8 and others, you've known of or seen or heard of Veselka. But for those of you who are not in New York and, and the one or two of you who haven't had the pleasure yet of trying the pierogies and blintzes and other unbelievable cuisine at Veselka, can you tell us a little bit, Jason, about how Veselka got started, its beginnings, and, and just a little bit of the trajectory of, of where it began, where it's at now, and, and your involvement as well. Sure, I'd love to. As you're aware, uh, as you're well aware, we're celebrating our 60th anniversary this coming year. We were founded in 1954 by uh, my grandfather, where I'm a third generation family member to, to run and own the business. My grandfather was an immigrant from the Ukraine, uh, from Western Ukraine. He immigrated here with my, his wife and my mother and my uncle in the late 1940s, 1950. They were dispersed due to the, the war, World War II and the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and German split up. But my grandfather was a Ukrainian patriot and uh, he always believed that he, America was a land of of opportunity. Veselka, many people don't know what Veselka means. It means rainbow in Ukrainian. And I really believe that he had thought that when he started Veselka, it was literally just a little candy store, five and dime, newspaper stand slash soup stand. His ideal was that he would wanted to create a place where, you know, that people felt happy and rainbows create that happiness, but I, I don't. I never had the opportunity. I never knew or asked him or my grandmother why he chose that name. But I would suspect that he had thought, thought that, if given the opportunity that America, New York, especially, has an opportunity to have that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But long story short is that he had the opportunity to create this little candy store newsstand on the corner of Ninth Street and Second Avenue. The landlord or the organization that owns the building was an organization that he was a founding member of. It's a Ukrainian scout organization, still is currently. They teach Ukrainian language and Ukrainian scout skills on Saturdays in the space above Veselka. Is there still a large Ukrainian community in the neighborhood? There was in the late 50s and uh, into the 60s, but due to the gentrification of the neighborhood, there's still a Ukrainian church. There's a Ukrainian meat market where we buy our smoked kielbasa from across the street from Veselka. But unfortunately, due to the gentrification of the neighborhood, 
the East Village has now become, you know, a, a very hot neighborhood to to live and rent from. But just going into the history of Vasilka, my grandfather had started the, the business in the late in the early fifties, nineteen fifty four to be exact. Ran it until the early seventies, where my father had married uh, into the family. My grandfather had a sudden health episode and passed in the early seventies, and my father, right out of college, jumped right into working at Vasilka. He had told me that there were some really lean times there in the 70s. The city was going broke. There was a lot of, it was a very big drug problem on the Lower East Side. But he survived with the help of vendors like you guys, Wilco. And there was several other key people that were able to give him very good terms over, over the period of time. And he weathered it by changing and, and adapting to what the neighborhood wanted. There was some... He expanded some of the soup. You know, we have traditional borscht and mushroom barley and blintzes and pierogies, as you mentioned. But he expanded the menu from traditional Ukrainian foods to some more American fare. When did he do that? Because that actually led me into a question I had. Because you at Veselka absolutely have enormous credibility as a traditional staple, if you will, of the Ukrainian community. Yet you've been able to create a restaurant that has massive appeal. How did that evolution occur, which you were kind of leading into where it's, yes, people that just say, I want the best Ukrainian food, they're going to go to Veselka. But then other people who may not even know you specialize or come from that pedigree are coming to Veselka because of its popularity. How did you navigate that? I, I, you know, I give a lot of credit to my father, Tom. He was always animate about serving the best of, of what he could buy or afford at the time. So, you know, you have different alternatives from particular jellies you buy from you know, you can go on the lower diner end of Smuckers, or you can go to a higher end of buying Dickinson jams. But he, in the early 80s, he saw that the East Village was beginning to change, and he saw the demand for a brunch crowd, especially on the weekends and a breakfast crowd. There, there was nobody that had that. So he had offered buckwheat pancakes, for example. Nobody was making buckwheat pancakes. I remember that. There were a variety of other... Ukrainian slash Polish or Eastern European restaurants in the neighborhood. But I think what we were able to hang our hat on was that we'd always use the best ingredients to make those staples. And then he slowly increased the menu by just know what the neighborhood wanted or requesting. You know, we have a split pea soup and, you know, we offer a, a very good burger and everything from, you know, America, mac and cheese to an expansive breakfast menu. And and it was part of my doing and part of my assistance when I came in involved in the business in the early 90s, we had saw that there was a demand for a late night business. And that was my project right out of college in 89. We were going to open, we saw a lot of people on the streets late at night. So we said, well, let's try opening late at night uh, on the weekends. And that was very successful right off the bat. The first six months we had, you know, we had lines out the door. We said it was in the wintertime. In the spring of 90 or 91, we think we can afford to open the door seven days a week. It was a commitment, and that was something I took on, and I was there seven days a week for the first 12 months or 18 months to make sure that it went well and that you know it's, it's a demanding on-taking with the crowds that you have to deal with. But, um, I mean, for the most part, I, the, the incidents were far and few between, and we are, we're very big supporters of our local police department. We have... 
on a regular basis over a period of time. We had various commissioners. I'm getting so much value from what you're saying on so many levels. The first thing that I'm hearing, because again, just for people who may not know, for a restaurant to not only be in business for 60 years, but I, I think you'll agree with me, to be more relevant and more popular and busier today than you were 60 years ago is an incredible accomplishment in the New York City restaurant industry. And what I'm hearing from you is first and foremost, you guys were very much in tune to your local core customer base. And by being in tune with that, it sort of helped guide you in the evolution of your restaurant. I have to give a lot of credit to my father. I mean, he had no, he got involved in the business while he was still in college, a young man of 21 or 22. He had very good business sense, but he didn't have any book sense per se, you know, a lot of schooling, but he learned by the seat of his pants, as they say, and and experiences and good connections with business people that gave him some ideas and some of them worked, some of them didn't. But we were very fortunate to be on that same corner for the last 65 years and have a very good relationship with our landlord. I mean, that's, that's I think, one of the most important things here. I mean, this day and age, I hate to say every other corner in Manhattan is either a drugstore or a bank. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to continue that valued relationship with your landlord or have that landlord that's involved in your business with you, then you're one step ahead of that, that's such a, that's such an important concept that people need to get when they open up a restaurant because the truth of the matter is is that if you are in a situation where you're renting your facility, it doesn't matter for how long. I've known so many great restaurants that sadly are no longer here, not because they weren't doing business and not because they weren't incredibly relevant, but just because they could not work things out with their landlord. And I actually think we may be entering a moment in time in the next... 12 to 24 months when opportunities are going to abound because there's a lot of empty storefronts in New York. And I think that the power is going to shift back to those tenants. And there's a lot of creative ideas. I actually wrote a blog post on this, but just about, you know, creating creative partnerships with landlords that are going to enable restaurants to really take up a lot more space and come back. The other thing that you were talking about, which I found fascinating and I think it's so important for people who aspire to have profitable and successful restaurants for many years is that you're constantly leveraging and building upon what you already have. You, Jason, saw, okay, the neighborhood's changing. There's tremendous demand for late night. Let's keep our kitchen open 24 hours. That's so crucial. Not only that, I I know that you guys do, you guys utilize every aspect of that restaurant in one way or another. Was that a conscious decision that you sort of made once you decided to say, hey, we're going to stay up late and then it's going to be seven days? Or is that something that demand has kind of led you like, okay, now we're going to do catering or now we're going to have this? It's a combination of the the both. I I mean, we're able to obviously leverage that late night crowd and, and we recognize for it on various levels. We've been, the Food Network has come and said we have the one of the best things in a bowl, you know, being our, our homemade hearty borscht to you know, being recognized as one of the top 10 diners across the, in the U.S. Um, because of the variety that we, foods that we offer. I mean, how many places can you get kasha and eggs or, you know, have a plate of, you know, we make these wonderful brunch pierogies, bacon, egg and cheese filling pierogies. I mean, and we're now, we're, we're taking that and trying to utilize that. I think a big part of our, our growth now is uh, we, we were not 
involved in as much as in the past is, is catering and getting the word out to offices. And now we're partnering up with a variety of third-party caterers that will take, you know, that will offer or sell our foods to clients that would, you know, we're one of the few Ukrainian places that you can get authentic Ukrainian food delivered to your office. It's an amazing statistic. How many pierogies are you guys making on a daily or monthly basis? We're started keeping track of that over the last few years. And now we've calculated that we make anywhere between 1,500 and 2,000 on a weekday and up to 3,000 a day. I have four or five ladies that work a full week. So we're making almost more than 10,000 pierogies a week. Wow. One of the things that I have a, a great deal of respect for uh, for you and for and for Tom as well is one of the things that's occurred and and certainly you guys have participated in it is the notion of restaurateurs becoming celebrities. I know that your father has a phenomenal book that I would recommend to people. I know that he's been a guest judge on Bobby Flay. I know that you get a lot of media as well. Yet I also know because I've come to Veselka periodically. I used to eat there much more frequently that you are laser beam focused on the day-to-day execution of that restaurant. Again, is that just something that comes naturally or is it just the wisdom to say, look, all of the other stuff is great, but it's the day-to-day execution that ultimately is going to determine my own feeling about what I need to do and, and, and the success of this restaurant? I've had a great mentor, not only my father, working side by side with him for the last 30 years. I mean, he he's a a big one to tell me or remind me that the expression, you know, the tension is in the details. I mean, he would, early on when I began working after college, he would, my my responsibility on a particular day shift, he would say, you know, the, the jelly caddies are dirty or, the you know, the sugar's got a smudge on it. I mean, he he saw those things and I think people appreciate that. And, you know, you, you want to stand above don't want to be you don't want to take your things for granted and people notice these things so i've been i have to give him a lot of credit for keeping me focused on the on the small things but at the same time you know he always says you have to we have to create a vision to to move Veselka past the east village and you know what and it's just it's become because of our location and the variety of different you know, NYU's Cooper Union School of Visual Arts. There are multiple universities or higher education, and just the village as is with the various nightlife. People have always come through the East Village as some part of their life, and when they return and they see Vaselka still there, offering the classic food that they, you know, the the bowl of mushroom barley soup they had twenty years ago, or they're bringing their kids to school now at NYU. It's 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 a great sight to see and a great connection. One of the things, you know, we've had the pleasure of being one of your vendors for many years, but one of the things that I've learned from from being affiliated with you and, and Tom and both as somebody that loves to go there but also as a vendor is the level, as I said, not only the level of execution, but every aspect of your restaurant runs properly. And I know from my business and I know from seeing a lot of restaurants that don't work, that doesn't come easy. And I also know I've never had a situation with anyone that works at Veselka where they haven't been incredibly professional, upbeat, on point. How do you create a culture, and now you've been doing it for 65 years, where you're getting that level of execution, not just from your dad and yourself, but from everyone else in your organization? 
That's a good question. I mean, we're, we're still an independent restaurant. We ventured and had some openings of other little holiday markets and pop-ups and even had the you know, experience of opening another brick and mortar and had a great uh, run at that, but decided uh, that that wasn't in our cards at that time. Treating your staff and your employees well, I mean, I think you had attested to that earlier. You have to pay above the, the going rate, I mean, as well as you, you treat people like family. Um, I mean, in, in this corporate world that we live in now, treating people as a number or or somebody that you don't you don't ask a personal question about, you know, their family member or their health. I think that goes a long way in this day and age of you know uh, a business, especially with the, the growing pay rates and offering health insurance. You know, a lot of people don't go that extra mile. So I take that personally. My my father may might be a little bit. He, I would think he would say he he's a, a personable person in terms of being wanting to know about the staff. But I think I've made it a point over the years that I think a lot of people relate to me. A lot of people of my staff have my personal cell phone for an emergency sake. I don't want somebody calling me about their child's illness at, at midnight. But treating people with respect, treating people like you'd want to be treated yourself. I think that's a great point, and I agree with you. And I also think that the example that is set by the owner-operator goes a long way. I remember a restaurateur named Florent. And Florent, for those of you that don't know, had an iconic restaurant in the meatpacking district. He was incredibly influential in in a variety of other contexts, as you guys are in the East Village Historical Society. But when Florent was on the floor, he was bussing tables, he was seating guests, he was in the kitchen, he was executing and working. And no matter how chic that place was or how exotic or interesting the guests were, he never lost sight of the fact that, hey, this is a restaurant and this is what we're doing and everybody's got to do it. And I believe you guys do that as well because I've said it before and I think it's true. People can forgive a bad meal once in a while or a bad cocktail if they're treated great. But no matter how great the food is, if they don't have a wonderful experience there with the people they're dealing with, I just don't know that it works. And when you have a place like yours where you know the food's phenomenal, the staff's phenomenal, the vibe, everything is, is great. That actually leads me to a question I had to ask. I know you and your father are very involved in the East Village Historical Society. How would you say the evolution that the East Village has undergone from, say, the 70s and 80s, which people who grew up in New York like I have, to now, how has that evolution not only impacted the clientele at Veselka, but just the overall cuisine, the overall dining out vibe in general in the East Village? That's a great question. I mean, uh, so actually the just the proper term that uh, Tom is uh, and we're involved in is the, it's called the Greenwich Village Historical Society. That's right. So it entails the whole village. Tom is now on the board of that committee or that, that society. He can attest to it more. But obviously, it was a lot more ethnic-based. The village had, you know, had an area of the Italians, which still are down there in Little Italy. You know, our neighborhood was more predominantly Eastern European, with the Polish and Ukrainians, as well as other neighborhoods. And then the West Village had their had their little groups. But over time, with the real estate prices as they are today, and have risen over over the years, over over the decades. I mean, it's now become very um, 
I would say office oriented. You know, there's a lot more office space available in the village, and Tom is very active on the in his um, preservation society to try to keep big building away from downtown. There's a, you know they're creating this whole technology hub below 14th Street is one of the Blasio's. One of his objectives. Thank I guess. you. One of his. Thank you. One yeah, of his yeah. objectives to create this hu- technology hub from 14th Street down almost down to City Hall or down Broadway. And I think that's going to change what the village is. I mean, the village has always been a, a, a meeting ground of poets and writers and, you know, the theater scene. But I believe that because of the dynamic of what's happening in New York and the Hudson Yards building, that we're now becoming just so... I'm not sure what to, how, how to put it. I, I agree. I mean, like I was in... Um I was in the Freedom Tower and I've been in the Hudson Yards and and I and I was born in 1970 and grew up in New York City and one of the great things about New York was the street life of New York City just walking down the street and getting lost and going down side streets and discovering something and now there's malls all over the place and that is a bit odd to me because now I live in the suburbs and we have malls out here and people come into the city. So I can totally relate to what you're saying because the East Village has had historically over the past 30 to 40 years the most interesting and vibrant street life probably of any neighborhood in New York City. I mean, I I can think I can, of so many different street streets. Yeah, right. St. Mark's and uh, Alphabet City. And I also think it's it's admirable, but also true to your mission that Tom and yourself on the Greenwich Village Historical Preservation Committee are really looking out for what you think is best for New York, not necessarily what might be best to just either expand this restaurant, if that's even possible, or other stuff. Because I do think you're right. We have to be very careful with New York City. Agreed. I mean, uh, as you said, I mean, it, it could benefit us. Probably even more so if we brought more people and more office space into the into the village, but that's not what the village is about, and that's not. I don't think that that's what we want to see the New York turning into. But that's just a matter of opinion, and what actually happens is is another poll. I agree. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is: over the course of sixty five years, I I remember when you guys did your first expansion, and I remember some of the other restaurants that are no longer here that used to have similar cuisine, but you've always been innovating. And I'd like to know, what's your approach to innovation? So for example, you just mentioned a pierogi that you have on brunch, which is a bacon and egg and cheese. Bacon, egg and cheese. Pierogi. What's your approach to innovating at Visaka? Because I know you have your core Ukrainian dishes, but I also know having the privilege of being one of your vendors and, and having known the restaurant for a long time, you're always doing something new, adding something new, whether it's derivative or something wholly different. Do you have a sort of approach to innovation or, or is it just... We, we try to sit down a minimum of once a week, Tom and myself, and we have a, uh, an ex-chef who's now a consultant with us as well as we've worked from within uh, a, a young gentleman by the name of who's our executive chef now, Dima Martsanyuk. He came to us maybe 10 years ago as somebody who had been working in summer camps, peeling potatoes, and he wanted looking for a kitchen job. And we we brought him on. He did some prep work. And over the course of the first two years, he got very interested in the food. And he's of Ukrainian descent. And he worked with this woman consultant who at that time was our executive chef and took him, she took him under his wing and he decided with the help of our pastry chef as a CIA graduate of Culinary Institute and gave him a recommendation. He, we put him through cooking school with the premise that he'd come back to work for us. 
and that's turned great dividends for us. And he's got a, a lot of great ideas. So he, he he's part of these weekly meetings, and we just try to brainstorm different things, you know, for uh, uh, different seasons, uh, doing different seasonal specials and incorporating some American fare with Ukrainian fare. And I just came into some of my old recipes that my grandmother had had uh, hidden away. My mother decided to share from me, share with me. So we're trying to play on those that you know, bring back some of the core. You can't really mess, you know, borscht is borscht. But, you know, we're doing different fillings with pierogies, different stews, just trying to, you know, different toppings and doing a, a Reuben with potato pancakes. I mean, it's just something I mean, wow. th- that we think would be, can work in different, across the board. So much value there, especially when you're, and, and, and every answer, th- these are answers for people that are listening who aspire to open your own restaurant. I, I would encourage you to listen to this again and, and take notes because you were talking there about investing in your people as well. And when you invest in people, to use your word, you get enormous dividends because you have somebody who's steeped in the culture and you're showing a level of confidence in them. So when they come back, the level of enthusiasm and commitment is that much greater. What would you say, Jason, would be some of the most essential things to do or or the, the best pieces of advice you would give to someone, let's start first with somebody who's aspiring to open a restaurant in New York City. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a, a, a full-time commitment. I mean, I, I would equate it to having twins, you know, three times over at once. Um, and it just, it's a, it's a constant, uh, a constant um, love my father would say, you know, the restaurant is another child of his. He's got five five kids over two marriages, and he treats it like that. I mean, that's his first love. You have to love what you do. I mean, that's that's the old adage, right? Love what you do. But put a great team of people around you. I mean, as you were all aware, I mean, that's you can't you can't be there twenty four hours a day. So I entrust. I built a team that I can count on that would. Do as I would do if I were there. Partner yourself up with great people like yourself uh, uh, in terms of uh, finding vendors that you can rely on. I mean, there's always going to be that that time where you're going to need somebody on a Saturday afternoon, and I've I've, I've called you on a number of times. Th- those are some of the first points. But there are, there's a long list. Well, you know, it's interesting just to respond to what you're saying because uh, I appreciate the compliments. But what I you know, within that, just to sort of flesh it out for people. So we've been a vendor of Veselka's for many, many years. And from my vantage point and from the vantage point of any other vendor, notwithstanding the fact that I've developed a friendship and, you know, my business partner, Robert, and I stayed at Tom's house in Vermont, had some great ski trips and all that stuff. From a business standpoint, one of the things that you've done and you always do, is there's no, you know, in our business, and I'm talking now from Wilco's perspective, we give out credit to customers. And this is advice for people that want to open up a restaurant. I'm going to give you a very easy tip now that'll serve you well for your entire career if you listen to it. Those restaurants where the vendor knows with absolute certainty that they're going to get paid, those customers get treated the absolute best in a multitude of ways that can impact your business. So Jason mentioned a few. If there's ever a slow month, which Veselka never had, or there's ever an issue, the vendors are going to be much more accommodating. 
The second thing is any type of service needs that you have. Again, those go to the top of the list. And finally, in terms of price, you know, Jason's always been, you've always been very kind in your dad to give us an opportunity to always be offering new items to you. And from my vantage point, I tell my sales team, I tell everybody, give them the absolute lowest price you can because it's as good as a treasury bill to me. So that's no, but this is really great advice for those of you that are opening up a restaurant. The better reputation you have with your vendors, the more you can leverage that to extract value for yourself. And it's a very important lesson that I think a lot of people overlook. Glad you mentioned that. Uh, Tom has always been a, a one to tell me that, you know, always reiterated that we always pay on time, you know, never carry more than 30 days. You take care of your, your vendors and, they'll, and you can ask for that back. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, 100%. But, but somebody who's newly starting out might not have the deep pockets that could, can do that. But if you have the ability to do that, Obviously, that's a good foot to start off on. When you look at your place now, I mean, Veselka really is a part of New York City culture. You mentioned being one of the top 10 diners in uh, America. But but Veselka's taken on iconic status, and now you're in a lot of different movies and stuff. How do you balance those types of requests with the need to just wanting to be there for the community, being authentic. I'm sure you must, you know, I saw, as I mentioned, Ocean's 8. There's got to be a temptation on the one hand to say, okay, now we're going in this direction where we're iconic. There's all kinds of interest. I'm sure photo shoots and all that. But at the same time, hey, if I do too much of that, what about my regulars? Is that something you have to balance? That's a, a great dilemma. And you know, Tom is always now, we're getting a lot of requests. And Tom, in the very beginning, would say, you know, I, I just, I don't like I don't want to disturb my my regulars, and I can tell you there are multiple. I mean, there are a, a large number of people who come to Veselka, and we're their extension of their kitchen. They come once a day or twice a day for their regular meals, and when they see that disturbance, they get a little peeved about it. But we, we keep it to a handful. Try to work around that those requests. If we're going to be closed for a period of time, it would be late at night or. Or try to keep the inconvenience to, to a minimum as well as we we don't just close or offer these without having some compensation in return. What makes Viselka such a great story and such a great restaurant and such a great restaurant to study is 65 years of success and relevance and growing and, and all of the amazing things that have happened. But it all starts and is maintained on an on a never-ending focus on the details, on the execution, on the day-to-day experience of customers. There's a great lesson out there because I think a lot of people want to open restaurants or invest in restaurants because of the sort of fun part of maybe being a celebrity or being somebody that can hang around the bar like Rick at Casablanca. But all of the enormous success and relevance and fame that you've gotten is really just a reflection of that dedication to the process. I mean, I'm going to make an analogy here. You look at guys like Tom Brady, you look at guys like Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods. If you study these people as I have, you'll find they have an an incredible work ethic and an incredible commitment to the details. That's something I would really like to get through to the listeners more than anything else. Right, and like I love it too Great. in my business. Every, every, you know, I love doing this with you. And then as soon as we're done, I'm going to go walk around the warehouse and make sure all the cases are in alignment or anything like that. You love that aspect of it, though, right, Jason? Uh, I do. I mean, uh, our hashtag or our, our, our motto is Ukrainian soul food in the heart of the East Village, 
and, you know, and Tom has reiterated to me and over the years that um, we all, we know that we want to create that atmosphere. You're coming to grandma's house. You're coming to your, your, your Ukrainian grandmother's house and not necessarily think of it as your Ukrainian grandmother, but your Eastern European extension of your family. And our, our food crosses so many different cultures of, of, of European ethnicities. But we just want to create that feeling that you are getting a good home-cooked meal and, and, and getting a fair, paying a fair price for that and having an experience that, that, you, that you enjoy. You know, comfort food is, is comforting. 100%. As you project into the future, where do you see Veselka evolving if you would look out, say, 10 years out? So as we have talked about the changing culture in New York and, and trying to keep the, the village the village, there are these big monstrosities of the Hudson Yards and uh, different food markets and food halls. I, 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 that's definitely the, the trend in New York, and we're, we're intending to get involved into that. We're, we're moving, uh, opening up a little outpost of Veselka called Veselka Essex in, the, in a place where it's called Essex Crossing, and then they're having a, a food hall in there. It's called the Market Line at Essex Crossing. To avoid the big investment in their brick-and-mortar uh, establishment, I see the future in these food halls where my father and I have that vision that these things, these food halls have some value and there's a minimum investment investment involved in versus a brick and mortar. As all fads or trends happen, they come and they go. Personally, I, I see Veselka, I would love to take Veselka outside the city. There's a large Ukrainian or, again, I'm not, Veselka's not necessarily focus on the Ukrainian community, but there's a, I think there's a, a market in Philadelphia. There's a market in Boston. There's a market in Albany uh, that I would seriously think about expanding Veselka into those markets and looking at a bigger picture. I think that would be awesome because I think that Veselka really is something that's truly unique. And yet I think it's a concept that could be very successfully deployed in a bunch of other markets. And that would be extremely exciting. I mean, I, I would just want to end it like this, Jason, because I I really am so grateful that you took the time to come out here. And I think that the lessons and stories that you shared are invaluable and they ring true in everything uh, that I've seen in my years in the restaurant industry. So let's end it on this question. When you sit down and eat a meal at Veselka, what is your go-to meal at your <laughs> restaurant? I've had everything there. And I, and I love all the food that we offer, but I, I, my go-to meal would be a bowl of borscht, um, a plate of pierogies, and probably a piece of apple cake that uh, we make there, you know, with a scoop of vanilla ice cream to top it off. Nice. Mine, mine is eggs with kasha and mushroom gravy with a side of potato pancakes and sour cream. There's nowhere else you can get it. And... Jason, this has been something really special, and I really appreciate you coming in. I mean, for those of you that are interested in learning more, you can go to veselka.com. You can check Veselka out on Instagram. You can look up Tom Burchard and his fabulous book, and you'll see Tom often on, uh, as I say, the Food Network and elsewhere. But this has been an incredible interview, Jason, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come out here and do this with us. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much as well. Awesome. Thanks. Hey guys, that was an unbelievable interview, incredibly valuable, and again, a real pleasure to have Jason here. 
So I normally recommend one book that I've enjoyed that, that has helped me as a business person and a human being, but this episode I'm going to recommend two. The first is Veselka Cookbook by Tom Burchard. It's a great cookbook for those of you that want to take on the, the challenge and the fun of making pierogies and other dishes at home, but there's also a lot of great stories in there. Tom is an unbelievable guy, and you will enjoy this book, even if you're not somebody that likes to go in the kitchen like myself. I'm not much of a cook, but I loved reading this book, and I love the stories. The other one is a book called Tiger Woods by Armin Katayan, and I'm recommending that book because not because it's sports or I'm a Tiger Woods fan or anything, but it's a book that really shows you how a man who had unfailing attention to detail, commitment to excellence, discipline, was able to achieve enormous success. It reminded me of Veselka. It's an inspiring book because I really do believe that the fundamental ingredient in success is consistency and attention to details. If you guys have any books that you'd like to recommend to me, I would love to hear about it. You can DM me or you could send us an email at woolcofoods.net. And if you have book recommendations, I'd love to hear those as well. So thank you for listening and have an awesome week. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.